Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. They had a number of uh, recommendations, but uh, they, they talked about uh, the fact that we know that depression and uh, the loss of family members is a uh, reason why uh, suicide is common during the holidays. Uh, how do you guys handle it? I don't really handle it properly. I, I don't really. Ranks. Go ahead, John. I close ranks. You know, that, that <laughs> what does that mean? That old army saying that when you know you're fighting in the war, and somebody dies in your flank, then you just move closer to the rest of them. So when you say close ranks, that means that when somebody dies, you just get closer with the people that are left. Oh, okay. All right. Any other ways you handle it? My family, we just reminisce. Reminisce about, you know, we we remember the prayers of our parents at Thanksgiving, sometimes how long their prayers were, we were waiting to eat and things like that. We kind of make it a joy. We just continue to make it a joyful time. We just reminisce about those that are going on. Talk about the some of the funny things that happened. This type of thing. Any other ways you cope? Yeah, I still have kind of sorrow moments, but I take quiet time to myself and I I deal with them. But um, um, just like Betty, I focus mainly on the good times, the funny times, the crazy times, and. We've had a lot of those in my in my family, and um, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. All the okay. men in the family who loves to eat, we they pile up their plates. We try to remember who ate the most at what time, and you know, just 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 fun stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, speaking of reminiscing, I go through photo albums, and um, you know, reminisce that way. Uh, and I like music, so I, uh, I listen to music. I like holiday music, too. Okay, any other thoughts? Uh, it's interesting that uh, none of you talk about uh, you wish you could have, should have done this or that, because uh, that leads to trouble, whereas, so you let go of those those shoulds, and you just focus on what you you've mentioned already, the the, the positive positive memories, and uh, uh, don't dwell on what you could have done, or should have done, but didn't. But think about those things that you are doing, and will do. And uh, so that's one of the things that they recommend. They also recommend. Uh, uh, Take advantage of all the, your emotions, uh, uh, the exciting ones, the, the positive ones, as you mentioned, and also put into perspective the ones that uh, weren't so wonderful. Uh, and uh, 
Any of you uh, do any of those things in terms of as you think of your, your loved ones who are not there, uh, how you remember the, the positive things about them and not the negatives? Any other thoughts about how you uh, make space for all the emotions, but yet channel them into a positive perspective? Um, for me, I don't think of holidays. When I'm mourning of a death or grief, it's not a holiday that makes me mourn more or I go into depression. I just, when I'm going through it, it's all year long or all that brief season or the long season, but a holiday doesn't make me mourn even more. Um, like Betty said, when the family gets together um, and we're talking about everybody and you're talking about the ones that are living, the ones that have passed and rejoice. But when it goes to mourning, I don't think, but I know that they always say people go through more mourning during holiday seasons Maybe that's the only time they actually were with their loved ones were with during holiday. Because I don't really explain, you know, for me, when someone passes and I'm mourning, a holiday doesn't make me mourn even more. I know they say holidays make people mourn more. For me, it doesn't. Any other thoughts about that? Yeah, I... My my oldest son passed just before uh, a Thanksgiving when five years ago when he passed. It was like the 18th of December. So his funeral was right before or after Thanksgiving. So most, a lot of the time his name will come up, you know, when we're having Thanksgiving dinner. And there again, we talk about the crazy things he did and, uh, you know, we don't focus on the death part of it. We focus on the good times, the fun, crazy things he did and, you know, different things like that. I, don't, I really just don't get depressed on holidays. It's a joyous time and I keep it that way. I see Pamela has joined us. So uh, welcome, Dr. Coleman. Oh, okay, hold on. I was just calling you. Just to see the rest of you here. So, uh, okay, so um, good, but, good morning. Uh, we, hi. Actually, hi. Dr. Coleman has recently lost her husband. And so she uh, also has uh, uh, occasions why this holiday uh, is special. This may be the first holiday she's uh, sharing without her uh, loved one. Uh, and we were just talking about how to cope in the holidays uh, uh, and how to avoid being depressed and how to stay positive. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, uh, you're here. So uh, uh, we, we were asked to get you to help us because we wanted to hear some of the ways in which we can best be healthy uh, with urological problems of people uh, who are 50 and older. So, uh, Pam, are you? Yeah, I, I am here. Good morning. We just, uh, yeah, good morning, everybody, and happy holidays. Thank you, Dr. Callender. I was trying to get my um, video screen to come up, but it's not. So we may have to go without it. But um, yeah, so I, I just have uh, to share my screen. Us? 
John, can you help her? John? I actually had the same issue yesterday. I had to uh, shut my computer down all the way and then oh. reboot it. And then it worked after that. Yeah, well, I don't want to shut it down because then we'll have to <laughs> turn up the PowerPoint and the slides is going to take a, a minute. I mean, um, if I could do it without it, but if not, you just won't see your, me. <laughs> your wish is our desire. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's John. Okay. Well, Dr. Callender, do you want me to just hold on? We're working on another computer. You can keep talking, Dr. Callender. I'll let okay, you know. All right. ready yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All well, we, right. We, we had, I think we had uh, talked about uh, uh, being open to uh, whatever is positive uh, during the season. And of course, uh, the pandemic is not positive. <laughs> but what is positive is the opportunity to meet with your families uh, and friends uh, that, that you can during the holiday. Because the last holiday season was very restrictive. And the one before that was restrictive as well. So this would be probably uh, an opportunity to uh, meet with some family members that you hadn't met in two years. So, Dr. Khan, we still must be concerned about family members coming from different parts of the country and, and coming together, you know, as far as wearing masks and staying six feet apart and all that kind of stuff. Not only that, of course, with the, the new uh, variant, uh, uh, having got whether or not you've gotten a booster shot or not becomes important. And so you can encourage your... Uh, your relatives and visitors uh, to be sure to get a booster shot so that they can be uh, ready to overcome this new variant, which uh, uh, we're all aware of, Omicron. So that's something. But as you mentioned, uh, the, uh, uh, the same old faithful friends of uh, six feet apart and uh, masking and uh, all of it become uh, and hand hygiene become uh, uh, as important as ever. And then I guess the uh, the most important thing of all is stay positive, uh, as positive as as is possible. And I think many of the things that you mentioned uh, are the ways to. Uh, Stay positive. Any other, any other thoughts in terms of as we approach the holiday season, and we know that uh, depression and uh, other things are rampant, and suicide is uh, uh, becomes the number one problem. Any other thoughts or ideas as we approach the holiday? Um, Doctor Callender, you also mentioned about what do you do? You never did answer the question about our eating habits during the holiday and how much willpower we have. So what's that do you say? My idea is, my idea is, and I know uh, Darrell will, will not like it, is that you should uh, enjoy yourself for the holiday. Forget all that other stuff. 
and enjoy. <laughs> okay, Daryl, I'm going to cook you a steak when you get here, sweetheart. Well, I didn't say <laughs> We don't think of steak at, at uh, Christmas time. We think more of turkeys and things like that. But I, I, I think that this holiday and you should uh, enjoy yourself. That's that's my thinking. And, and uh, you know, if, if you're a diabetic, that doesn't mean you should eat a lot of sugar. But it, it means that uh, for the most part, it's a holiday. It's a one-time thing. Uh, enjoy. That's my my philosophy. Carol, fix him a nice old big juicy greasy sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Calendar, good morning. Hi, Kevin. Uh, a lot of people recommend as far as eating for the holidays is like setting your scales back 15 pounds. <laughs> you know, but as far as like uh, visiting family uh, for the holiday, I see this year worse than last year. Uh, I was supposed to go to my nephews and, uh, his twins, seven-year-old twins, have been exposed to COVID. Uh, my nephew, uh, my other nephew, uh, he's got diabetes, and he had dinner with someone and took his mask off. And the, and the guy after dinner said, I didn't taste anything. Oh! So, you know, so he's being tested, too. And uh, I see it worse. You know, and I, I had a this, this girl I know, she just passed away last week from COVID. Wow. You know, she had uh, underlying conditions in regards to, uh, you know, cancer, but, you know, she was living with that, but COVID did her in. So mm. I'm seeing this year is, is worse than last year. Wow. Wow. Well, hmm, that's a sobering thought. And, uh, uh, Dr. Coleman, are you uh, ready to go now? Or I see your your slides are up. Her her audio is muted. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, let me that. just let, let me just give you an introduction to Dr. Coleman. Okay. Dr. Coleman and I have known each other for quite a while. I I. I've always enjoyed working with her, but of course I have a special connection because she's a she's a college basketball star, and I, I love basketball. And so uh, she uh, played with Georgetown at the time when uh, wow. it was it was Georgetown um, yeah. in terms of basketball. And uh, so, in addition to that, she's a great urologist and a great friend. And uh, so I'm I'm thrilled that she would. Uh, give us some of her time to help us as we uh, age and uh, deal with some of the urological problems that uh, she she helps solve. Thank she's you, been Dr. A friend. She's been a friend for us in transplant and has helped me with many of my transplant patients who have had urological problems. Made early diagnosis of conditions that many others missed. And so uh, without further ado, Dr. Coleman. Thank you very much, Dr. Callender. And I uh, will say um, that was a very gracious invitation. Happy holidays to everyone. Um, as Dr. Callender mentioned, um, this year in April, I lost my husband to colon cancer. So this is my first year um, or you know, in the season without him for the holidays. 
Um, I will also say uh, this year in the mail, I got my Medicare card. <laughs> so <laughs> that was <laughs> my red, white, and blue card came through. So that was another first. So it's been a year, a year first, but as it's been mentioned, it's nice that we are able to get together. So without further ado, um, what I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to incorporate in to this um, talk, um, the eulogic findings that we see sometimes as we mature and become senior citizens. So I have the title as the S, the essence or the S's of life. The S's that I'm going to go through this morning are going to be social, um, sleep, sexuality, and spirituality. So this quote is from Oprah Winfrey. And she says here, the more you praise and celebrate your life, the more there is in life to celebrate. So let's look first at socialization. Socialization, um, especially in this time of COVID pandemic and post COVID and all the other variants that are coming up, we have come to realize how very important it is to socialize with our fellow human beings. I think we all have. And what this has done or the lack of it um, can sometimes increase cardiovascular risk. For the beginning of the pandemic, it was not really known how many people actually because of lack of socialization were at home, were alone, and um, may have passed away at a home alone and then found later. Um, so socializing helps us to stay active, to be less sedentary. Um, it, it also helps increase our self-esteem. Minimize this here. Um, it helps reduce stress. It helps us maintain a sense of purpose. And it reduces our cognitive decline. So as we get older, if our brain is in acting, if we're not moving and doing things, um, it declines. And it, it has been seen associated with dementia and Alzheimer's. So we want to avoid isolation. I didn't mean to do that. Dr. Coleman, your, your, your slides are not showing up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh okay. Are they showing now? No, just the home screen on my, on my computer. So I can see them on mine. Um, and it says I'm screen sharing. Oh, okay. So you still don't see them? I, I see the home screen. Hmm. The first slide, the S, the S sense of life. And that's all you see. Okay, yes. something's wrong. Sorry. Um, all right. Let me go back to me share. It's on there. All you have to do on the side to the left, all you have to do is just manually click on to slide one, two, three, four, five, six. So, uh, oh, okay, because it's not showing on my screen, it's showing the slides, but on your screen, I guess it's not showing the slides. All we got is one. Wow. Okay, yeah, something. Uh, I, I see the others on the side. Yeah, we we'll yeah. stop the share, stop the share, and then restart the share. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Okay, there stop sharing. Okay. Now restart the share. We're still seeing okay, the whole thing. Now, um, what she needs to do is up there where it says slideshow, she needs to click slideshow and it will say start the show. 
Okay, click slideshow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not starting. There, there's a little box that says slideshow. Yeah. A little box below that. See, it says slideshow, resume slideshow. Um, let me go from the beginning. Oh, and I didn't go back. Do you there see that? Yes. yes. Okay. All right, so let me just go back. Can you see that? Yes. Yes, so you're going back. Right. Okay. Can everyone see that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Some of us are computer challenged. Okay. So we did socialization. We talked about avoiding, you know, avoiding isolation, how important it is to avoid isolation, to exercise. You don't have to do, I mean, Dr. Callender talked, I used, yes, I did play basketball at Georgetown. I was, um, I was uh, the, the guard. I also, at that time, Patrick Ewing was just starting to play. Of course, he's now gone on to other things, but he was there. So you don't have to really do high impact. You can do low impact exercise. You can find a lot of these things on YouTube. You can do stretching. And I have a couple here that's practicing together now. Of course, hopefully they both have had their COVID shots and they're in the family together, things like that. But our are interacting with each other. They're doing low impact and they're using low weights. You don't have to have, you know, high volume weights to keep your muscle tone and things going. The other benefits of physical activity, um, it improves our sleep. And I'm going to talk about that. And sleep is important, especially the number of urological conditions. It helps to maintain our healthy weight. We were talking about weight earlier and, and yes, enjoy yourself for the holidays. They say on average, if you start eating from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, Dr. Calendar, you're going to gain about eight to 15 pounds. <laughs> and then you're going to have to take that off later on. So in moderation, maybe use a small plate. But actually, the more you sleep, the less you eat. Um, and, the, and during that time while you're sleeping, you're going to be having the benefits of health. You're going to improve your quality of life. Um, while you're sleeping, our body is restoring our cells, our muscles. Everything is coming together. Um, also, sleep helps to improve our concentration. Um, and activity also helps improve our concentration later on. It helps us develop and our coordination to keep coordinated so we'll be able to do other activities in life. Stretching, so very, very important. Again, you know, if you have someone you can stretch with or you can stretch by yourself, these guys are pretty good. They're able to reach their toes. If you can't get down that far, you know, do the best you can, but be consistent with it on a consistent basis and you'll have the benefits of, of that. So Newton's first law is a body at rest wants to stay at rest. So if we don't get out and try to do a little bit of walking, a little bit of stretching, a little bit of home activity, then we're going to decline as time goes on. Social again, as I was mentioning, helps with our physical and mental activity. The exercise I talked about, low impact, you don't have to do high impact, weight bearing and stretching. Nutrition and hydration, so important. What our body needs is water. Now we might not like always the taste of water, not very flavorable, we can flavor it um, to make it taste a little bit better. You can use lemon, whatever, but our bodies need water. How much water people always say, well, you take your weight usually and divide it by two, and that's the amount that you need in ounces. Um, if you do have some underlying congestive heart failure or other diseases, you may want to speak with your primary care about that. But the main thing with social activity is avoiding isolation. Let's just go on to sleep and how can we have good sleep? Importance of it. How much time? How much time do you think you need to sleep? Well, actually, you probably need about anywhere between seven to nine hours of sleep a night. 
Um, and we're going to go over some positions. And this is from the World Sleep um, Health Federation. So here we have, you know, I'm sure uh, you might say to yourself, I love my relationship with my bed. No commitment is needed. We just sleep together every night. All right. So fix a bedtime. Have the same time that you go to bed and the same time that you awake every day. Now, this, of course, may eradicate sleeping late on the weekends, but it's so important for our bodies to get used to this type of circadian type rhythm. Um, it's important for the daily functions of our life and important for the functions mentally and physically. If you nap during the day, napping time should be somewhere between five to 45 minutes and you don't want to nap close to your bedtime. You want to that I should be decreased about four hours before sleep. Alcohol actually also over um, can be a depressant. Sugar and caffeine, again, could be stimulants, but they also, in terms of the bladder, can increase bladder um, contractility. So if you drink these things closer to bedtime, yes, they're gonna keep you up because they're stimulant. And also you may have to go to the bathroom more often um, because the increased contractility of the caffeine is an irritant and, and sugar. You wanna exercise regularly, as I mentioned, but you don't wanna exercise just prior to going to bed. It's also a stimulant to keep you up. You wanna make sure you have comfortable bedding. Make sure, and also you have a comfortable mattress. You haven't had it for 10 years. Probably needs to be changed. Your bedding and your sheets and everything are fine. Comfortable temperature settings. Oftentimes we sleep in too high a temperature and we get warm and then we wake, it wakes us up at night and we don't do well. Blackout, any disturbing noise, any screens, screens, television screens, phone screens. Don't go to bed with the TV on. That's not a, not a, a good thing. You usually end up waking up in the middle of the night turning it off and then that wakes you up, wakes you out of your REM sleep, your rapid eye movement sleep. What happens when you're in REM sleep, urologically is when you're dreaming. And um, you see when we were younger with the REM sleep, we sometimes, especially in men, you can see in little children that they actually have erections during that time. And so their erectile activity is very um, stimulated during that time. When you wake up in the morning, for men, when your testosterone is highest, in the morning, that's when you may wake up with sometimes what's called a hard on, or you're you know ready to urinate, and then when you urinate, the erection goes down. So there's there's very um, a lot of studies that are looking at uh, things that are happening while we're sleeping that in terms of uh, urologic system and other systems also um, it can be very very beneficial, and we need to keep on that circadian type rhythm. Sleep benefits, well, good night sleeps boost your mood, your mental health. It helps to avoid depression. The quality of your sleep also is important in terms of improving your blood pressure. Also keeping your diabetes, your sugar under control. And as we mentioned, obesity. The immune system, while we're sleeping, the body is restoring and repairing our muscle and our cellular tissue. It also helps restful sleep decrease weight gain. There is a hormone, um, ghrelin hormone stimulates appetite. And this is decreased during sleep. If you're awake, maybe stimulated and you're up. So you're up, you're like, well, you know, travel to the bathroom. I mean, to, yeah, to the bathroom. 
um, frequent urination is always said, well, do you wake up to urinate or did you urinate and then you woke up? And then when you woke up, did you travel to the refrigerator and then you ate something and then you came back and you tried to go back to sleep and all this. Also during, when we're sleeping at bedtime, through the lymphatic system, which is like similar to the lymphatic system in our bodies, the brain is eradicating toxins from our brain back into our circulatory system and our elimination system. And so this is also being looked at in terms of perhaps these increased toxins may be adding to dementia and Alzheimer's. Certainly when you have enough rest, you have improved memory, retention of facts and attention, your cognition is better, and you can learn better, you can socialize better, you can interact better. So here we have, this person is up at night, looks like she's ready to go to bed, but she just can't turn her, tear herself away from the computers. Like, looks like it's about 10, 10 of two in the morning. And she says, I have 10 more minutes and I gotta go to bed. Well, she probably, you know, hopefully she will find time to get in bed. She's got a coffee mug there by her and she's doing a lot of things that she should not be doing prior to going to sleep. You should prepare yourself time to go to sleep. Don't just finish things, jump into bed and be ready to rest and sleep. So tips for a better sleep in our essence, set a sleep schedule, reduce loud noises, Start the process early. Like I said, calm yourself down, calm things down. Maybe some relaxing music, reading a book, maybe a warm bath or shower. Reduce that screen time. Don't depend on sleep aids. Sleep, our body naturally produces melatonin. And that melatonin helps us to sleep, but it also helps with body repair. Sometimes you can get onto sleep aids and over a period of time they become ineffectual and their metabolites can accumulate in your system and they over time are not good. Before you go to bed, if you have a partner, cuddle before bed. Increase This increases your physical intimacy. And we're gonna talk about that when we go into um, sexualization. As I mentioned, don't nap before bed, don't exercise before bed, try to do that if you are four to six hours in the daytime and not for more than 45 minutes at a time. Some medical conditions, sleep apnea. So sleep apnea, um, a lot of studies were finding very, very uh, much associated urologically with um, urinary problems, specifically the ability to rest sleepfully, uh, calmly and peacefully. With sleep apnea, there's a, an obstruction to the flow of air coming um, out, and that obstruction can lead to decreased oxygenation to our bodies, particularly to our brain. Now, you may not necessarily know you have sleep apnea. If you don't maybe have a partner that you sleep with, it doesn't tell you that you snore. If you snore, that could be a sign of obstructive sleep apnea. If that's the case, you should talk with your physician and maybe you need some sleep studies done to look at that. It's been found that once that's treated, sometimes requiring a, a um, special machine to wear at night to help you to breathe, people sleep better and they're less likely to wake up to go to the bathroom or have incontinent episodes. Um, other medical conditions con associated with this is Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, as I mentioned, chronic pain. Chronic pain sometimes can be difficult to treat and sometimes some patients are medications that have different side effects. Um, that can add to the issue, add to the problem. 
but exercise occasion can, can help increase blood flow in these areas, um, activities, things like that. But certainly other medical conditions, cardiovascular disease, neurologic, GI, pulmonary, all these diseases are associated with sleep problems and bladder control problems for sure. Patients who tend to get up at night, we will say, start first with behavior modification. Yes, there's medications that we can use, but if you start first with decreasing your fluids four hours before bed and the types of fluids that you're drinking, even the types of meals that you're eating, things that are highly acidic, highly spicy foods, you want, to, you want not to have those before bed. Maybe have them in the middle of the day, have them for a lunchtime meal versus a dinner meal. So I have a little cartoon here and he says, my butt fell asleep. And she says, I know, I can hear it snoring. <laughs> All right, best positions for sleeping, believe it or not, on your back. And as you go across the slide from back to side to stomach to fetal position, fetal position probably is not, probably one of the worst positions that you can be in for sleep. Um, now I'm not sure we can probably do a toll in the audience where people feel like they're more comfortable with sleeping, but say, um, but stomach and fetal, you would kind of avoid if you can, better on your back and less on the side. Also, in terms of the pillow that you use, in terms of how your head, if it's not comfortably aligned, that can be an issue. Talking again about the holidays and eating food, why is sleep so important for fat loss? Well, when you're sleeping, you're gonna be less, you have less tiredness through the day. You're gonna have more energy, more energy to work out, less hunger pains, less, less uh, hunger cravings, salts and sugars. Again, fewer carbs and more fats are used for energy. The cortisol production um, is going to be less. And then, as I mentioned about the testosterone production, and believe it or not, women, we actually have a little bit of testosterone in us also. And that small amount of testosterone that we have also can be very important for our sexual activity. And studies now, we sometimes treat women with low libido, we give them a small amount of testosterone. And the same thing with men with decreased libido or decreased sexual desire, we will um, replace that with testosterone. The best time to check your testosterone is in the morning. It's in the morning time. Um, and then as I mentioned before, with having good sleep, you have better muscle retention. So I'm not sure if you pray this at night, but maybe something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my shape to keep. Please no wrinkles, please no bags. Please lift my butt before it sags. Please no age spots, please no gray. As for my belly, please take it away. Keep me healthy, keep me young. And thank you, Lord, for all you've done. The author here is unknown. The power of sleep, so important. Again, just review, we turn off your electronics. It helps us to de-stress, take a bath or, or a shower to help again to relax and de-stress. And these things should be done. You should start to prepare yourself about 30 minutes before you actually get in the bed, getting ready to go to sleep. Here we have a gentleman. He seems like he's comfortably sleeping on his side. And there's an old Navajo proverb that says, you cannot wake a person who is pretending to be asleep. 
So let's move on to sexuality and intimacy. This certainly is an important part of human existence. If you go to Genesis, you know, chapter one, when our Lord made Adam and then felt he needed to have Eve by his side. So it goes way back from the beginning, um, but sexuality intimacy does change with age. Why is that change? Is it change in hormones? Is it change in the physical um, hormones that are changing? The sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen. Testosterone, as I mentioned, very, very much is associated with libido, sex drive. Estrogen in women, very, very much associated with um, the physical, again, sexual drive, but also in the vaginal area. The vaginal canal is very much dependent upon estrogen. It helps make it more luscious. As we go through menopause and postmenopause, there's less estrogen. There's less, there may be dryness. There may be shortening of the vaginal canal. Um, all these things, of course, may interfere with um, sexual satisfaction and intimacy. But vaginal estrogen can be replaced and it's replaced vaginally. So you don't need to take systemic um, estrogen, which some may be associated with uh, malignancy, particularly breast and cervical cancer. But when we place estrogen vaginally, either with a cream or using a pill, small suppository that goes into the vagina and these are put in at nighttime, it will replace that estrogen. The estrogen in the vagina, ladies, is also important for decreasing urinary tract infections. Estrogen makes the vagina a lower pH, more acidic. Um, it brings in our important lactobacillus, which is a protective bacteria in the vagina and helps to decrease those types of infections. Men, testosterone is helpful for, for your libido. There are other issues that associate with erectile dysfunction, as we know, certainly you do need to have a good libido, but believe it or not, one of the first signs of cardiovascular dysfunction is when men are complaining of erectile dysfunction. Why is that? Well, you need blood to flow into the penis to get an erection approximately eight times the normal amount of blood flows into the penis at the time of an erection. If the blood vessels are scarred or constricted, maybe from smoking, which causes vasoconstriction or atherosclerosis, the body's gonna shunt blood to the important organs. What are they? The heart and the lung, the liver, and less, uh, the body, not, as, not that it's less important, but less at the time to the penis and less blood flow there for the erections. So sometimes when I will see a gentleman coming in complaining of inability to get and or maintain erection, I will look at their cardiovascular status. I will look at their blood pressure. I'll look at their lipids, their cholesterol. I will see what medications that they are on that may be affecting that. There's obviously um, several concerns for elders and I find barriers and tattoos to talking to your physician about sexual activity. Sometimes there may be concern that you should not be sexually active. Well, we know that's not true. Uh, there was one study that I reviewed that if you take the cutoff at 60, approximately 70% of people in the study said they were sexually active when they were less than 60 years of age and about 57 to 60% after age 60. So sexual activity can go on 
long and I have patients in their 90s that are sexually active. Now, I will say that you should be able to walk up a flight of stairs without being short of breath. And sometimes we do need patients to have cardiovascular evaluation, maybe prior to starting them on oral therapy for erectile dysfunction. But if you want to be sexually active, you can be. Or if you want to be intimate, certainly there's ways to be intimate, other ways to being intimate. But certainly I know there are a number of barriers. Sometimes patients don't like to talk or they feel maybe they shouldn't be talking about sexual activity um, as a senior, or if they're in a nursing home, um, nursing homes, um, some nursing homes now do provide areas for conjugal visits. So there are a number of things that, you know, can be a complicated situation or it seems like a complicated situation, but things can be um, done to help with that. Uh, regular sexual expression is part of who we are, is part of our, our humanness. Um, it should not be taken anything to have any tattoos or negativity about. As we grow older, we wanna grow older with positivity. We wanna keep the passion alive. Important to communicate, important to communicate with your partner what you like and maybe what you don't like. Now, that can be a sensitive area, how to start the conversation. You might say, you know, sometimes I feel more satisfied if you do this or if you do that or maybe this is a little irritating for me or uncomfortable, but you wanna, you wanna continue that, you wanna have that kind of communication. Hopefully you can have it or find ways to have it. Don't look um, backwards, look forward. So don't look back and say, oh, in my twenties, I did this and I did that. And I was, you know, having activities so many X times a day. You guys know those barbershop conversations that you have, right? <laughs> or maybe you have with your own mind talking to yourself. Think about what you can do looking forward. How can you be intimate with your partner? Maybe you can adapt new positions. Maybe you can adapt new ways of doing things, different positions, different styles, different caressing, maybe different types of stimulation and touching. Um, there are also times when we see increased sexual desires, particularly in patients that have dementia. It's not quite sure why, but sometimes they will have an increased uh, their libido will be increased and they'll have increased desire for sexual activity. There are some medications also that are given to women for menopause to increase their estrogen levels, which also may increase their desire for sexual activity. So communication and talking and having discussion is very important. There may be conditions that may limit sexual activity. As I mentioned before, arthritis and chronic pain um, diabetes, heart disease, and incontinence. So these are things that you want to discuss with your primary care physician or your urologist or your gynecologist to get under control. Certainly alcohol, surgery, and stroke, all of these things um, can affect intimacy. So when we look at anxiety, and a lot of people do become anxious when they want to become sexually active. Remember, anxiety is a thief. It steals your thoughts. It steals your sleep. It steals your confidence, and it can even steal your libido. Every accomplishment starts with the decision to try. This is from John F. Kennedy. So if you wanna be active, you wanna try, certainly speak with your partner, speak with your physician, see how that, make that happen. If you don't try, you know, it doesn't happen. It's not, it may not happen, but it can, it can happen. So last but not least, spirituality. 
Now, spirituality is a broad concept. Um, usually means a sense of a connection to something bigger than ourselves. Um, typically, it involves a search for the meaning of life, the meaning of our personal life. At its core, I would say when I looked up the definition, spirituality is an aspect of human life that frequently involves a search for answers to fundamental questions about our existence. And sometimes as we get older, we have a little bit more time to ponder these. Sometimes when we're young, we're busy trying to do this and do that. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What happens after we die? What happens to our loved ones? Where are they? Can we transcend the material world? Now, some of these questions, depending upon your relationship with people, and I would even go on further to say your relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe, you know the answers to some of these questions. Can we transcend the material world? How should we live our lives? What matters most of us? Is each of us alone or are we all connected? And I believe the answer would be yes. So having spirituality in our lives is important. It helps to preserve relationships. It helps us to bring back fond memories that we've had. It gives us peace, which is so important and increases our peace and our comfort in our daily lives. Again, back with socialization, it gives us a strong sense of community, being with others, having positive aging thoughts versus negative aging thoughts. It gives us opportunities to, to interact, social interaction, and all of these reduce cardiovascular risk, Alzheimer's, and even has been looked at in reducing some cancers. Spiritual important for our own self-care, our own good wellness. Um, a lot of this may come through your primary care doctor, your mammogram, your PSA, prostate-specific antigen, and digital rectal exam. We do that for prostate cancer screening. So important, we can um, diagnose prostate cancer. We can sometimes cure it. We can also treat it. Chest x-rays, CT scan, all these things to help image our bodies to see how things look. If you're a smoker and you're not, and you haven't stopped smoking, you're trying, at least speak to your primary care doctor about doing a screening CT scan of your chest to just to make sure there aren't any silent pulmonary nodules or lung cancers that are starting to develop. So I'm gonna end with this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt and I'll be happy to take questions. Beautiful young people are accidents of nature, but beautiful old people are a work of art. So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Dr. Coleman. Okay, you. uh, you're open for questions now? I am. Okay, I guess uh, uh, what are the commonest uh, symptoms that people come to you after they are over 60 for urological concerns for men and, for men and women? So in general, I would say the commonest symptoms that people come to see me as urologists with urologic concerns, I would say for men would be a toss up actually between changes in their erections, their sexual activity and their bladder control, urinary frequency. And most of the time, most people are bothered most by because they have to get up at night to urinate and that's interfering with the sleep that we talked about to be so important. And women, I would say that most commonly I will see women for recurrent urinary tract infections. And as I mentioned 
earlier, these recurrent infections, um, we have to diagnose the bacteria involved and treat with antibiotics, but there are also some other issues that are at play and predominantly the lack of estrogen in the vaginal flora and decrease the lactobacillus, which are the helpful bacteria in the vaginal flora. I also see women also for um, changes in their sexual activity and their libido, but more commonly it would be for urinary tract infections and then would be bladder control, urine incontinence. Um, this type of incontinence, particularly in women, can be associated with prior childbirth or even just having one pregnancy can put a stress on the pelvic floor. And over time, the bladder can move outside of the pelvic floor. And when it moves outside the pelvic floor or drops, commonly called prolapse or cystocele, can be associated with urinary frequency and urgency at nighttime. Or it can also be associated with what's called stress urinary incontinence. It's not necessarily the stress of our daily activities or being living in this world, but the stress of pressure on the bladder. So laughing, coughing, sneezing, jumping up and down, moving quickly, fast, and the urine will leak out and come stress urinary incontinence. What does that mean, incontinence? Incontinence means the inability to voluntarily control, in this case, the bladder. You can have fecal incontinence, also inability to control the bowel movement, and also inability to control the urine would be urinary incontinence. So bladder leakage, bladder urges. Um, it, you will see, I mean, why is it depends so popular? And so many people will go either to the store or go you know, online or call up to get Depends. Now that was a great name, whoever came up with that, Depends, so that if you are having bladder leakage or uncontrolled bladder, you can wear an undergarment or a Depend to rely on. But the bad thing about it, a lot of times before you or after you go and buy the Depends, see your physician, have an evaluation done to see why you're having urinary leakage, bladder leakage, or uh, inability to control your bladder. Sometimes it may just be, it could be a urinary tract infection. You go on the right antibiotic, it goes away. It may be, again be behavior modification. It may be the bladder's down, but there are treatable causes for urinary leakage and bladder control problems besides depending on a depends. Now we'll say we cannot always um, treat all bladder leakage or bladder control problems, but the first answer should not necessarily to, I mean, you wanna wear something so you don't have any embarrassing moments, but you wanna be evaluated to see what actually is going on, what's causing that problem. When you have a, a male who uh, has to urinate more than once a night, uh, how do you treat that kind of problem? And what, what age should you, uh, first have your digital rectal examination and your PSA. Mm -hmm. Sure, so um, for men, we're looking at doing the digital rectal examination and the PSA, the prostate specific antigen, which is the blood test drawn from the blood drawn from your arm, your vein, like you would do a blood sugar blood test done. Screening men, African-American men in particular, at the age of 40. You should at least have an initial PSA and a digital rectal examination as a baseline. 
Now we do know that unfortunately, African-American men have a higher incidence of prostate cancer. Certainly if it's in the family, one member, two up members, the increased incidence goes on. So we like to start screening at age 40. And I would say that anyone that is of male genotype. So we do have men, we have people that are transgender female. When they undergo sex change operation, we don't remove the prostate. And so the prostate is still there um, at this point in time. And I did have a patient once who had prostate cancer. So the screening should begin at age 40. If you don't have a family history um, and you're a Caucasian, um, you can start screening at 50 or at least have the conversation. But I still feel that it's important to start at age 40. And most urologists do also along with our guidelines. The other issue, um, getting up at night to urinate. As an adult, Normal urination is about six to eight times a day. Now you might say, oh, that seems to be a bit much. Well, that's also with normal usual intake of fluid, hydration. If you go through the day, you don't eat, you don't drink anything, you're not probably not going to urinate six to eight times a day, which is about every two to three hours. Given that you should not get up more than once, maybe twice at night, but now not more than once at night. If you're starting to get up more at once at night and it's starting to become bothersome and a problem, again, you should seek attention with your primary care doctor and or your urologist. Now I've given you a couple of tips and things that you can do. You can first look at what you're eating and drinking, what you're doing before you get in the bed at night and cut back on those things. But if that doesn't seem to work and you're still having a problem with getting up at night and, and more so um, not just sometimes getting up at night, but the urge to feel like if you don't get up at night or you don't get to the bathroom, you're gonna have an accident. You're gonna have an embarrassing moment. Um, for men, that type of urgency, we see that very commonly with the beginning signs of enlarging prostate. Enlarging prostate does not necessarily imply that you have a huge big prostate. It's just enlarging enough to, to start to irritate your bladder and your urine tube to make you feel the need to have to go to the bathroom urgently or frequently, or get up at night to urinate, or even progress on to leakage of urine or inability to control your urine. Dr. Coleman, you mentioned um, checking your testosterone in the morning. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Right, so the testosterone is highest in the morning and lowest in the afternoon. The normal range is a wide range, actually, about 250 to 900. Now, who's going to be at the 900 levels? Probably when you're in puberty somewhere. But I do, I have seen patients in their 80s with testosterone levels around 700. Um, but it, it's also probably going to be somewhere on average around 300, 400. Now, so it's imp important with the testosterone, when we're going to check it, if you're going to have a blood test for that, have that drawn before noontime. Um, that is when it's going to be at its highest level to see what your testosterone level is. And then we usually like to check more than one level um, to give an idea about that. But there are things that can lower your testosterone level. For example, um, marijuana actually can lower the testosterone level. 
Um, there are medications that are given um, that can lower the testosterone level. Sometimes we as urologists will give medications to treat prostate cancer. We know that the prostate cancer, as well as the normal prostate gland, are stimulated by your testosterone level. So the, the normal stimulation of the cells that can cause some enlargement of the cells, we can give medications to decrease the active form of testosterone, which is called dihydrotestosterone, to kind of shrink the prostate cells. These are benign cells. So the cells are there, but they have, they're shrunken, they're smaller. So that may help um, with prostatic or bladder out obstruction in terms of urinating. But we also know that testosterone also feeds the prostate cancer cells. So in treating prostate cancer, we do need to lower the testosterone or deprive those cells of testosterone to control the, the cancer, the spread of cancer. So we really would not give replacement testosterone patients with prostate cancer, but we would do other things to help if they need it for libido, sex drive, and sexual activity. Have, have, you, seen, have you seen all those articles, I mean, uh, advertisements on, on the TV and the radio about uh, testosterone medication that they're selling, especially on the, on the sports channels? The guy's talking about, uh, you know, increasing their, their testosterone by taking pills. Is that recommended? Yeah, I have seen the ads on, uh, there's a lot of ads uh, on television and they do come on during the sports time or they come on late at night also if you're, you're up after 11. But in terms of, no, I don't recommend the medication, the testosterone replacements. Now, what I will tell you is that usually if it's taken in the, the, form, the sorry form they're talking about, it can have an effect to over time actually lower the testosterone level. What happens, testosterone is under a stimulation pathway through our brain that when, and the, it's really interesting how the, the body and mind are smarter than we sometimes are. It does things on its own that we don't even have to think about, right? Making hair, nails, and things like that. But when you give an uh, excessive amount of testosterone, the body actually shuts off its own production of testosterone, and that actually lowers the testosterone. And testosterone is also um, required for the testes and the sperm production. So the, the testicles and the testes actually get smaller and become atrophic. So I have seen uh, men that are uh, athletes um, where they will try to enhance their performance with taking extra testosterone. And it actually has a negative feedback on that and also negative feedback overall on their size of their testes in, the, in their actual sexual activity and their performance. There are, there are advertisements on TV um, regarding um, medications for prostate health. And uh, if you, when you get the, the bottle of these medicines, you read the bottle, what does it say? This um, particular uh, pill is not intended to what treat, I don't know, evaluate, diagnose, cure, any condition. Well, if it's not intended to do any of these things, then why would you want to take them? What happens is usually you get what's called a placebo effect where you know, you're taking, I could give you a sugar pill and say, this pill is a wonder drug. It's going to give you erections. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. And you believe what I say, probably for about four to six weeks, maybe it will have a positive effect. But then over time, it's not going to be long last. It's not going to be sustained. They're on, for the most part, they are high dose vitamins. Again, if you have a 
a normal circulatory system, you're basically going to excrete what you don't need in the urine. Now, on that point, if you don't have a normal circulatory system, urination or liver, you will actually increase those um, metabolites, uh, which are the byproducts of those um, pills that you're taking. And they can, they actually may have a negative effect. Um, a lot of times they will say, well, they have studies, they have research, they have this, they have that. And they do. Um, and when you read them, the problem is that they haven't been studied against anything else. So if you're on other medications, you don't know how that particular pill is going to interact with what else you're on. It's one thing nice with the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, they actually look at studying the medications that are given against other drugs that are commonly given. So we get some idea of how these other drugs and chemicals and things in the body are going to react with each other. And sometimes you can get deadly reactions on the heart where you can get uh, the heart, uh, when it's contracting, you can get prolonged con contractions in the heart, which are not good. The heart can stop beating. So I would say, I have people bring me and I said, what are you taking? And they said, well, I don't know. Well, that's a, kind of a problem why you don't know what you're putting inside your body. But I will say, bring me the medication, bring me the bottle. Let's look at it. I look at it. I look at the ingredients in there. I, you know, I always show them at the bottom. It says this is not designed to cure, treat, or diagnose anything. But um, some of them have uh, things that it like. Some of them have caffeine in them, for example. Caffeine is a stimulant. So you you take this uh, particular pill or capsule it has caffeine. It's going to stimulate you. One of the if you look at um, Viagra or Sildenafil, which uh, we know it's a medication that's been out now for almost a decade to help uh, oral therapy or pill to help treat erectile dysfunction. If you go back to its basic chemical structure, its basic chemical structure looks like is uh, that of caffeine. So that was, and then on that, they built on the other um, chemicals on to go on to build uh, sildenafil or Viagra. And you probably know the story that patients were given that to treat their blood pressure because it lowers blood pressure, but they noticed they were having better erections in the morning. So that's how, how it came to be studied. And then now is a treatment for erectile dysfunction. So I will say, be careful with the things that you see on late night TV or you see during the sports um, commercials and things like that. Um, always consult with your primary care doctor and or your urologist and uh, just remember that placebo effect may work for a while, but is it long lasting or is it interacting with other medicines and things that you're taking? Thank you so okay. much. Very I've, got, I've got a question about urinary incontinence uh, with old folks. You can call it dribbling uh, where you don't completely empty the bladder. And uh, I've read that women that squat over public to toilets might develop a high public, high, um, high pelvic floor where they don't completely empty their bladder and it's recommended sitting rather than squatting. But could you talk about what that means to have a, a high pelvic floor? Sure. So again, so with urinary incontinence, urinary incontinence can be, dribbling can be a form of bladder leakage, um, but dribbling can also, um, so that that's a good layperson's term, but What's happening with urinary incontinence sometimes, it can be that the bladder is not emptying well, or it can be the bladder is actually full of urine and it's dripping over what we call overflow incontinence. So when you normally, when you urinate, even this is in men and women, 
the, the bladder senses that it's full. You get a, a signal to your brain that you feel like you have to urinate. Usually you can hold it for like one time. And then maybe after a second signal, you feel the need to start looking for a bathroom, usually, and, unless you have the urgent continence I talked about. Now, once you start looking for the bathroom, you go to the bathroom to urinate, what should happen is that first thing, the urethra, which is a tube that the urine comes out, that needs to relax because that's been under pressure holding that, that sphincter muscle has been under pressure holding that urine in so that it doesn't just leak out. So when you go, when women normally in this country, now there are other countries where you do squat, go to sit down, that urethra opens up and then the bladder muscle contracts and then the urine comes through. All that has to go has to be synergistic or go just like that. When one sits and squats, what you're doing, you're not allowing, you're basically pushing pressure on your pelvic floor to push the urine out. And this can be seen in men and women. Sometimes men, on the other hand, usually should stay in to urinate. When they start to sit down to urinate, that means they're not generating enough pressure to overcome the sphincter for the urine to come out. So they'll sit down to urinate to try to compensate for that. So that's what's meant. You can put pressure on that pelvic floor. You can push and squeeze and overcome the sphincter muscle and force the urine out. That is not a good thing. Uh, we used to say sometimes in children, some people used to teach them how to sit or you squat and push. You don't want to push. You should sit and relax and then allow the urethral sphincter muscle to open up. Think of like a sphincter and a faucet. You turn it on, you open up the sphincter and then you allow the bladder to contract and have the urine flow through. So it is an abnormal voiding pattern and um, one that needs, some patients need to be retrained on how to urinate properly, how to avoid properly. Dr. Coleman, I have a, a patient who uh, has been diagnosed with urinary frequency nocturia and uh, after, he was given tamulosin, but tamulosin was ineffective. What do you do when the, uh, you have uh, uh, nocturia and urinary frequency and the tamulosin is, is, is inadequate to control uh, the symptoms? Okay, so um, commonly, first thing, that patient, most commonly is going to be a male patient. We use tamsulosin as an alpha blocker. Okay, what does that mean? So and then you have your bladder, and then outside the bladder, as I mentioned, is the prostate, which surrounds the urine tube called the urethra. Now, at that bladder opening, there are receptors, they're called alpha receptors, that when they are stimulated, they cause, they cause the bladder to close, almost like a blood pressure medication. But if we use an alpha blocker, decrease that stimulation, it will cause the bladder neck to open and hopefully then the urine will be able to pass through easier. There have been many alpha blockers like tamsulosin on the market for a while, but if sometimes the patient will develop um, sort of like uh, they'll become, if they use it so much, or maybe it just may not work consistent, um, then we may try, may try another alpha blocker. But what I need to see is that is the reason, what is the reason why the urine is not coming out? Maybe there is a tightness of the bladder neck from the constriction of the prostate and then the alpha blocker should work, but there could be other reasons why it's not working. So 
in that time, we might want to take a look inside. So we do what's called a cystoscopy. Cysto means bladder and scopy, if anything, means scoping or looking inside something like colonoscopy, looking in the colon. So we might want to do a cystoscopy and actually look down the urine tube um, through across the prostate into the bladder. What might we find that could be a blockage? Well, normally the prostate will grow and have just lateral lobe tissue growth. But occasionally there can be a third lobe called median lobe that is growing into the bladder and that's blocking the urine from emptying the bladder and causing the frequent urination or the patient getting up at nighttime. That will not necessarily respond to a to tamsulosin or an alpha blocker. That tissue actually may need to be shrunk or resected, cut or removed. There can also be other um, diagnoses that could be causing it. There could be a small stone in the bladder and that small stone could be obstructing the urine from coming out adequately. There may be a tumor that is growing in the bladder. What I will say with bladder tumors and urinary tract tumors, a lot of people don't realize that they are very much associated with smoking. Smoking we know is associated with lung cancer, but urinary tract cancers, bladder cancers, urethelial cancers are also associated with smoking. The nicotine is the addictive element, but the carcinogens in the smoke, the beta-naphthalenes, anyone out there, the biology, the benzene rings, they actually, once they're inhaled, they go into the tissues of the lung, cause changes for cancer. They also go into the tissues of the bladder and the urinary tract and cause changes and then can lead on to bladder cancer. So occasionally, Dr. Callan, I answer your question. So if a person doesn't respond to medication, um, then we have to look at other causes um, for their um, urinary symptoms or frequency or urgency or getting up at night to urinate. And so that may require an actual look and see inside the bladder diagnosis to see what's going on. Sometimes we can see it on imaging an ultrasound or sound wave test of the pelvis, but occasionally we need to take a direct look inside to see if there's any other um, pathology or any other differential diagnoses to see why the alpha blocker is not working. Dr. Coleman, um, I have a question. Um, you talk about the splinter muscle as far as the uh, urinary tract, uh, but can the sphincter muscle also play a role when you're having bowel movements? Yes, so the sphincter muscle, okay, so there, the in the urinary tract, um, in the bladder, there's an internal sphincter muscle that's right at the bladder neck. And then as you come forward, come more distally in the urethra and the penis, there's an external sphincter muscle. And both of those are on different nerve control. But the nerve control to those sphincter muscles is very commonly the same nerve that involves the bowel for bowel control. So sometimes we can um, use medications to tighten the sphincter muscle or to relax the sphincter muscle. Sometimes a patient actually can do what's called Kegel or Kegel exercises. Those exercises um, involve tightening or squeezing the external sphincter. They don't work on the internal sphincter, but you can be taught with behavior modification how to tighten and loosen your external sphincter. And so sometimes even outside, even before even using medication, pelvic floor exercises. I know, it, I think it was Daryl asked about the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor is 
um, innervated by nerves that keep, we used to say it's the sacral nerves and the nerves in our lower spine, S2, 3, and 4, keep the bladder off the floor. <laughs> so stimulation of those sacral nerves help to keep the bladder in the, you know, into the pelvis, and they also help to Dr. Coleman? I think we lost the signal. Oh. Yeah, her screen froze, internet froze. Okay. Um, well, I think Let's we stop the screen share, John. Uh, yeah. Well, we've had a, a great uh, question and answer period from Dr. Coleman, and uh, I'm sorry that it uh, ended so soon. Uh, we've had an opportunity to ask many questions. Uh, were there any other questions that you had for her that uh, it's... Oh, you're oh, back, yeah. Dr. Coleman? You're yeah, back. She, she's back, she has to unmute first, if she can unmute. We need you to unmute, Pamela, Dr. Coleman. We can't hear you. You're still muted. Still muted. You're still muted, Dr. Coleman. We cannot hear you. We cannot hear you, Dr. Coleman. Hit the space bar, Dr. Coleman. Hit the space bar. <laughs> Technology has its wonders. Huh? Yeah, that long key on, on the <laughs> bottom of your keyboard. That I, that we can't hear you. I know. I'm trying to. My, um, I got kicked off the Howard's internet because of where I am in my office, but I'm trying to get back my chair. Oh, okay. We can see you. Just yeah, can't we, hear you. We hear you on your other device. We can hear you on your other device. Right, right. Okay, hold on a second. But I can hear, if you can hear me, I can still speak to you. Yeah, okay. we can hear you on your other device. Right, on my telephone, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, gonna, it's. Okay. Can you press the space bar? The space bar, that's the long key down the bottom of the keyboard. That long key. Press that. 
Spacebar has to be pressed and held. If if the preferences has been checked to allow the spacebar to work, it has to be pressed and held. Okay, well, I have another expert helping me. One second, please. Yeah, well, okay. I'm gonna have to leave in about five minutes. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> Nobody didn't hear me. <laughs> All right, I'm back. So it's okay. Um, you were answering the question when we lost you. Okay. Um, where was I? Talking about the sphincter? Yes. yes. Yeah. So the internal external sphincter. Right. So there are ways to uh, tighten the external sphincter with exercise. Uh, pelvic floor exercise, Kegel exercise, medications, and then there's also what's called neuromodulation or controlling the nerves. Um, similar to when we would use a pacemaker to control the rapid heartbeat, and actually the same company, Medtronic, one of the companies that makes it, makes it, we can make a pacemaker for the bladder. So in the lower spine, the sacral nerves of the spine, particularly the third sacral foramen, we can put a little electrode in there. And we can use that to control the, um, the bladder with, in terms of actually urinary retention, not being able to urinate, and also urinary incontinence. And it also can be used, um, is FDA approved for fecal um, incontinence and also fecal retention. So being able to stimulate and control those nerves in the sacrum um, can help with bladder control and both bladder and bowel movement control. Anyone else have questions uh, yes. for Dr. Coleman? Does increased insulin levels increase uric acid production? Hmm. Well, that one, I don't know, Dr. Callender, so I'm not an endocrinologist, um, so I'm not sure if I, I like now would be able to answer that question. Um, Any other questions? Would, yeah. Any other questions? Uh, any? You, uh... Yes, I have, I have one, Doc. My, sure. uh, my father and my son both had prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. So far, um, I've been negative on the, uh, the, the DRX and the PSA. So negative, um, what does that mean, negative? No, no evidence of, of cancer. 
No, but I mean, what is the le- what is your PSA level? Ah, you know, I, I don't even know. But I today is you my should know. I'm gonna you ask know. my I'm gonna ask my yeah. Uh, primary. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to you and you you keep a record of it so you know what mm-hmm. it is. Right, because the PSA level, the prostate specific antigen level, will mm-hmm. vary with respect to your age. Um, it also um, will vary with respect to the size of your prostate gland. So we kind of expect that as you get older, the PSA level can increase, but it's good to have a baseline. Normally it should be less than four. That's normally, but if you have, let's say we're treating you for prostate cancer, we want it to be near zero. If you're 40 years age, your PSA should be less than one. And then it doesn't necessarily grow up exponentially, but it's good to know your level as you should know your cholesterol level, your sugar level. And then you can, you know, that can be monitored over time. But I had a lot of, I've had patients come in with an elevated PSA, let's say of eight. And like I said, normal is four in general for most men 50 and older. And uh, their PSA the year before that was six, which was actually abnormal, but their doctor said, oh, your PSA is okay, it's six. Now they may have been, you know, basing that on, well, four, six, not too far from four, but now that you're at eight, <laughs> now you're twice above normal. So now let's have you see a urologist. And then when I, and I do your exam and your biopsy and I find you have prostate cancer and I'm thinking to myself, why didn't they come when the PSA was six? So um, sometimes you have doctors um, will interject their own um, ideology, but it's good to know what your levels are and get a second opinion. Because I have seen that so many times people will come and they say, well, I was told my level was normal and it was a six or an eight, but that's not normal. I mean, even I've seen people with a 4.2, that's not common, but a 4.2, 4.5 have prostate cancer. So that's why we also do the digital rectal. So the digital rectal, we get an idea of your size if you have a relatively large prostate, it may make more PSA. And so it may be normal that your PSA is slightly elevated. Um, we do a calculation called the PSA density. But if you have a t- small prostate, just think of it, if you have a small nut-sized prostate um, and your PSA is six, that would be abnormal for such a small prostate. So yeah, very good to get an idea. And then the other thing you mentioned about the digital rectal examination, I know sometimes people say, well, I feel, quote, violated. It's part of an examination, a urologic examination. It doesn't take more than really two or three seconds. We have our cancer center called Men Take 10. Take 10 minutes out of your day, come get your prostate checked. It doesn't even take 10 minutes. And the 10 minutes we use for the discussion, three seconds on exam, what, less than three seconds to draw your blood. I mean, all this information can be gathered in a rather short period of time. And I will say getting the blood test doesn't take that long. We get it back in 24 hours. So now we may not necessarily talk to you to the next office visit or something, but all this information can be gathered in a rather rather short period of time and um, suggestions made in terms of what to do next. So knowing that, knowing the number is important, knowing the size of your gland and how the two correlate is very important. And we know, you know, knowledge is power. So the more you know, the more you're gonna keep yourself in a healthy shape, healthy mind. I, and, uh, I just looked. I just looked up my my PSA results. Perfect. It's well, we don't want to violate any HIPAA. What was it now? 0.77. Good. Okay. Good. So that's good. So that means your yours is even less than one for whatever reason. And, you know, it could be what 
you're blessed, one first thing. <laughs> Second mm -hmm. thing, um, sometimes medications can lower it like that. But um, that's wonderful. That's great. So, because you might tell me it was 7.7, .7, and I'd be like, hmm, but 0 0.77, that's fine. Less than one is fine. Okay. Uh, thank you for a wonderful hour and a half that uh, you educated us on many aspects of our health. And we deeply appreciate it. And uh, 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 I guess since there are no more questions from anyone else, uh, I want to thank questions? you. Yeah, I have a few. I didn't hear too much from the ladies. Yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> disappointed. I didn't hear anything from the ladies. Any, yeah, we have, I can be on a few minutes. Any questions from the women? I had a question about the women. Sure. Well, let, let, let's stick for the women for now, okay? Let the women speak for themselves. This is, this is this is Sylvia. I didn't. I think John asked my question. I was, you know, we talk so much about the bladder leak leakage, and I was thinking about, you know, you see so many seniors, and there's leakages from the other end. You know, the lack of control when somebody is just walking, and I'm like, what, what in the world? But you know, understanding that there needs to be some muscle control, and what exercise can be done for the muscle control was interesting information but everything else i mean i understood everything you said was very very good presentation thank you so very much oh you're welcome yeah i mean the the fecal leakage and the urine leakage can be um initially can be helped with doing pelvic floor exercises and those can be taught and we also use a special equipment that we just put like a small, like a sort of like a tampon in the vagina and ask you to squeeze on that. Because a lot of times people think the Kegel exercises are moving their legs in and out. That's strengthening the leg muscles, the inner thigh muscles, but it's not, sometimes you have to kind of really be able to tell where is that, where, what am I tightening? Where am I actually squeezing on? And I will say sometimes if, you know, during sexual activity, if you can squeeze on the penis and your partner feels that, that's the muscle that you want to work. <laughs> you want to squeeze, that's the muscle, that's the, that vagal, that's the, that muscle that you want to work for the um, the kegels by the gentleman who first came up with it, Dr. Kegel, but the pubococcygeal muscle, that's the one that you want to work, not necessarily the movement of the legs, but my hands, movement of the legs and now, but squeezing that muscle tighter. And that will help tighten your external sphincter in the urine and also the sphincter of the, the fecal. Um, sphincter. I'm going to have to leave, so thank you. Oh, uh, okay. And they uh -huh. can stay with you until you finish. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, sir. You had a question. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, my question was: It seems though, what from what you're saying, you have more male patients than female patients. And now I actually have about an equal number. And uh, when I was the only urologist here at Howard, I would see all the all comers, men and women. So um, I have a, a, a certainly a, a number of male patients and female patients. So I see, I see, I'm a general urologist. Um, we do now have two other urologists that have joined me that one tends to specialize more in terms of cancers, urinary, urinary tract cancers, urologic oncology. Uh, the other gentleman is specializing more in terms of erectile dysfunction and putting placement of penile implants. But uh, I was, I'm trained general urologist, so I see both men and women, and happy to see both men and women. I don't, we don't do pediatric urology, but we do do adult urology. In that vein, I will say is that as we mature, as we get older, urologic problems become more common in both men and women. I mean, initially, 
the types of problems we see in women are with the urinary tract, urinary tract infection. But as you know, as men as you get older, we're going to start to see problems with your prostate, problems with your erections, problems with your sex drive. So you kind of catch up there into in terms of urologic issues. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for your discussions. Um, your topics were very interesting and you provided a wealth of information. You've answered some of my questions that I didn't even have to ask. Um, <laughs> so I just want to thank you. Um, very detailed, very informative discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll be happy to come back again and go, you know, over specific topics or really more and, you know, whatever you'd like. Um, I'm here. I really enjoy this. I really, I wish we could interact without the Zoom, <laughs> I think, but this is what we have to do nowadays, right? So um, I'd be happy to come back and you can ask Dr. Kellender. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you. Thank you. So much. Yes. All right. So I think he had to leave. So I guess um, there's nothing else and we'll end the Zoom. Yeah.